The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. My name is Deborah Fitzgerald, editor of the Peninsula Pulse. And today on this somewhat warmer winter day, it was about 10 degrees, <laughs> we have Joel Kitchens, who has dropped by the Bailey's Harbor studio. Hello, Joel. Well, good morning, Deb. So now Joel Kitchens, for anybody who doesn't know, is our District 1 representative in the Assembly. And he represents Door, Kiwani, and a couple of Brown... Yeah, four, four towns in Brown County. Four towns in Brown County. That's going to be a little bit challenging, just having four towns. Are they all next to each other? Yeah, yeah, okay. they are. It's, it's the northern part, so it's not That's too good. bad. I used to have, like, one town in Manitowoc County. That was really kind of a nuisance. Yeah, so right, I'm kind of glad right. they took that away. I didn't feel like I was doing justice to that. Okay. Before we get started, we're going to be talking about a number of things, kind of all big, big topic items. Yeah. Medical marijuana... An abortion referendum, perhaps, and a couple of bills, a peer support bill, and we'll re- kind of recap the 2023 legislative season and move on from there. But before we begin, this is an election year, as everybody knows, and our all 99 seats in the assembly are up for re-election. So that means your seat is also up for re-election. Yep. The filing deadline, obviously, is not until June. Yep. However, you must know if you're running. Yeah, so this will be my official announcement. That Excellent. You've <laughs> that heard it here first, first on the Dora County Pulse podcast. Breaking news here. So, yes. so yeah, I do plan to run for re-election. You know, the, the new maps potentially will be in place for the November election. And I know we're going to talk about that at a different time because mm-hmm. it's a complicated issue and it's changing so rapidly. But I am the only person in the entire legislature that can say, my map is not going to change much. All of the proposals, it's almost exactly the same because you can't do much with a peninsula, right? Or you shouldn't be able to. Right. So all the proposals, my map changes almost none. Okay. So just a teeny bit of background on that. Maps are being redrawn. So that is going to be happening in time for the 2024 election. And right now, they're just talking about the legislative maps. It's not the congressional maps yet, but that has been floated as well. Right. So those maps are going to be drawn before the November election of this year. And so I think you got a sneak peek at those. Did they just release them? You were able to see what it looks like so far? Yeah. I mean, there were like five groups that proposed maps. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the final map probably won't be any of them exactly, Mm -hmm. I suspect. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's... Again, it's a very complicated issue, and we can yes. talk about that for an hour easily, but and right. then, it, then it would be different tomorrow. Yes. So. so that has just come down, and it came down because the Wisconsin Supreme Court decided that right. they needed to be redrawn. So that's happening right now, and that's a process, and we will be updating people as we get going on that. But you will have a district. We do know that. Mm-hmm. And you will be running for that district. <laughs> yep, it will yeah. likely still be District 1. Yeah, most likely. It's not about to change that part of it. Anyway, okay. So a little bit about your term, Joel. Would this be your 
fifth term? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So your fifth two-year term. Right. And I always thought that two years seems like such a short period of time. To yeah. be in office before you have to run again, it's almost like you get in and then you have to start again, especially for congressional representatives. Too, yeah. You know? I mean, I would like to change that. I think most of the public, they don't want to deal with it every two years. It, it doesn't. Yeah. But that'd be a constitutional amendment. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. All right. So Joel Kitchens is running again for re-election in the November election. And so we are going to be talking about what's going to be happening in the future and what is happening now. But first, I just wanted to ask you another election-related question. Do you have a presidential candidate? I, I try to stay out. Well, you will vote. Oh, I'll definitely vote, but uh, but I'll stay I'll stay out of it. I you know, okay. Primary still going on. Got it. And yeah. Not made up your mind yet. Well, I kind of have, but I'll stay out of it. <laughs> I I'd rather just avoid that. Okay. All right. I try not to get dragged into national politics publicly very, as much as possible. I avoid that. I guess. Okay. So well done. Good good dodge on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't feel that smooth, but whatever. yes, no, that is perfectly fine. All right. So the first thing I would like to talk about is something that. And I believe Governor Evers did sign this bill, the peer support bill. Yep. So that was something that you authored. Yeah, he hasn't. He, actually, he has not signed it yet. I was looking for yeah. that, and it didn't. No, he. Okay. Yeah, so I misspoke. He has not signed it. Passed the Senate, passed the Assembly unanimously. There was no opposition. So okay. I certainly think he will sign it. Okay, so you do anticipate that he will. Now, yeah. this bill was designed to help emergency responders get the help they need to cope with the stressful and dangerous situations they deal with on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. why did you decide to author a bill like this and what will it do? Yeah, well, Pat McCarty, who's a sheriff's deputy, came to me with something he'd been working with. And a lot of people would like to see this happen around the state. And he explained the need for it. And, and it really makes sense that these people are in, they're facing these critical situations constantly. Like the normal person, maybe in your life, you are, you know, you, you deal with one or two of these things. These people, it's hundreds or even over a thousand of them over a career. And it really takes its toll. And there's always been sort of that, call it John Wayne syndrome, where people, you know, especially like in law enforcement, feel like, oh, we just have to be tough and act like it doesn't bother us. But it does. And it, it leads to job burnout, you know, marital problems, alcoholism and that kind of thing. So it really takes its toll. And this way, you know, what the bill will do is first off, the Justice Department will provide materials for to train people to be peer support people. And the big thing for the for those first responders is that it provides confidentiality so that when they talk to somebody, it's not going to be public. Now, there are caveats to that. If there's a crime involved or if somebody could be in danger, then that's off the table. But other than that, they can talk and know that it's confidential and feel comfortable doing that. And, I mean, the interesting thing with that is normally when we have hearings on bills, we kind of beg people to come in and testify in the public hearings. With that one, there were people that came in from all over the state, just Mm. dozens of people saying how important this was. And this week we had the sheriffs and police chiefs that came down to Madison. They do that every couple of years to lobby. And this was like a really big deal. One of their top priorities to get this done. Okay. So I'm you know, very proud to be involved in it. And it's, it's always great when you have a constituent that brings something to you like that. And I hope Pat will come down when the governor does sign it for that ceremony. Okay. Well, I, I was reading the testimony that was given at the committee hearing, and it was really fascinating. I don't think that anybody ever really understands the extent of the trauma that that they see on an everyday basis. And I wanted to read this a bit of Pat McCarty is the chief deputy and under sheriff at the Door County 
sheriff's office. And this is just a, a little clip from what he had written and gave in testimony. And he said, the patrol deputies I work with are now de facto social workers, crisis counselors, in addition to the traditional roles of detecting and investigating and apprehending criminal violators. They work in an environment where everything they do is recorded, where the decisions they make are scrutinized and analyzed, and the national media only portrays the negative. Our county jails have become mental health facilities. My jail administrator estimates that nearly 50% of the inmates in our facilities has some type of mental illness or substance dependence. Our jail deputies now oversee multiple withdrawal protocols daily. They have to manage a number of inmates with a variety of mental illnesses. Physical assaults on our jail staff have increased dramatically. And he says that regularly exposed to a high volume of trauma and then re-exposed to the same event when they write their reports, review body camera footage and testify in court. So it's not just the first time when they see something they have to re-experience it over and over again. And then he went on to list the high incidences, the, high, the low mortality rate for law enforcement officials and the high incidence of divorce and alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And so it, it is taking its toll on those who are in emergency response situations. What do they have available to them now in terms of being able to talk to somebody and I know that this bill will train people to to be the people that they can talk with, but do they have to request to have somebody come down and talk with them? Or how does that work? Like, yeah. how does it change what happens right now? Yeah. And first of all, I'm, I'm glad you read what he wrote because obviously he says it so much better than I ever could because he, he, lives, he it. lives it. Right. And so, uh, you know, and in that, in those hearings that we had, you know, again, there were dozens of people that came in and told similar stories, personal stories, you know, of what they deal with. And it, it is, it's very moving. So mm. that's why I, I do think it will, you know, I can't imagine the governor not signing it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, as far as I think what they have right now, it's it's sort of all over the place, depending on the department. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, here they try to provide some of that support right now. They got grants, though, to do that. Yeah. And I know Pat, him, you know, Pat has gone through some of the training himself and all that. So mm -hmm. they, I think that they're trying to do some of that now. But I think without that confidentiality piece, people are much more reluctant to, to really open up. Hmm. So okay. uh, I'm glad to see our department really being a leader around the state. There are a few departments that are really taking this on. They're leading the way. I know Kenosha is one of the, the leaders as well. Okay. There is another bill. Now, Governor Evers had passed, I think, in December, something like 40 bills. And that was just in December. I don't know how many bills. I was looking for this before we came on, but I couldn't find it. How many bills were actually passed throughout the whole session? I don't know if you, yeah, I don't if know you that all I'll get some <laughs> kind of an update. Okay, so yeah. you don't get an update either. But one of the pieces of legislation that was signed was, was kind of offbeat. It is the, I think it was called the Safe Haven Bill. And it's basically a box where you are able to put a baby 24-7 for somebody who is struggling to care for that baby. And right. I think that was something that you authored. Yes. Can you talk about that, Bill? Sure. So a few years ago, we passed a bill saying that a, a young mother could turn over a child to a police officer or someone in the hospital and, you know, no questions asked and do it anonymously like that. But we find that they still, just having to face somebody is still difficult for them. 
And it, this has stemmed from, there have been a couple of tragic incidents. This last, I think it was this summer, there was a case in Whitewater where a young mother killed her baby. There was another one a few years ago that prompted that earlier bill where, you know, it was a teenage couple. The, the boy said, I'll take the baby and put it up for adoption. He killed it. So it happens. You know, this way, I know it sounds weird when you first hear about it. Yeah. But it, it, what it is, it's a box, sort of almost like a night deposit box, I suppose, mm-hmm. except that it's temperature controlled and, there, and it notifies. It has to be the place that's where there are people there 24 hours. So if we do one here... It'll be at the hospital most likely. And, mm-hmm. I, and I should say right now that, you know, my f- impetus behind it was that the OBGYNs from the hospital came to me and thought it was really important for us to, to look into this. And then I teamed up with the woman that represented Whitewater where that other baby was killed mm-hmm. and we wrote the bill together. So there's a, an alarm on it so that if, if a baby is put in there that they, they're notified right away. And there are a number of states that have done it. And, you know, I, I just read of one recently in Indiana where they had put one in and within a few weeks, a baby was put in there. Hmm. So, you know, if it saves lives, mm-hmm. you know, that's the idea behind it. Because, yeah, you know, it is typically teenage mothers that are just so afraid of the social ramifications of it, you know, mm-hmm. that where this happens. Sure. All right. So before we get into medical marijuana and abortion, I wanted to just recap 2023 and what happened during the legislative session and from where you sit in representing the constituents in, in your district, what were the big highlights for 2023? For me, the, the big bill was the the Right to Read Act that I authored. I think you said that was either the biggest or the most important bill that you had ever worked on. Yeah, and that, that's, I think it is. I mm-hmm. mean, I think it's a huge bill. Okay. And actually, Speaker Voss, at his year-end news conference on it, he said that was, he thought that was the most important thing we passed this year. Hmm. Because when you look at our dismal reading scores, and, you know, when you realize that, or you read the statistics that if a kid can't read at grade level in the fourth grade, two-thirds of the time, they're going to end up either in prison or on welfare. Mm-hmm. It's just a huge thing. And the old cliche about it is that in your first four grades, you, you learn to read, and then the rest of the time, you read to learn. So if you can't read, you know, you're really, really behind the eight ball the rest of your education. Mm-hmm. And it just really holds kids back. So I think it's a huge thing. I think that, you know, so much of the, the generational poverty that we see that, you know, is growing generation after generation, oftentimes those kids don't learn to read and then that locks them into that. So I, I think it's education is really our one chance to break that cycle. And and reading is the keystone to that. Okay. And just to briefly recap how this is going to help that situation and make sure that fourth graders are able to read. Yeah. So in the 1980s, there was a trend that started in how they... So I said, it's funny, I say briefly, and then you, you start with the 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, I have to... <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to go through it year by year, but okay. uh, But in any case, we switched out. We taught reading. We got away from the phonics-based reading that you and I learned when we were kids, you know, where you sound out words. They were taught, they called it whole language, where when you're reading, if you come to a word you don't know, you look at the context, you look at the first letter and sort of guess at what it is. Well, for two-thirds of the kids, however you teach them to read, they're going to be fine. But there's a big chunk of kids that if you try to teach them that that way, it fails. They do not learn how to read. Mm. And then so many of them, again, I heard talked a little bit about some of the consequences, but they get put in special ed and all of that. So a number of states st- started going back to this method. It's mostly based on phonics. That's not it completely. That's mm-hmm. a little too simplistic, but just going back to it. And the, the poster child for it is Mississippi that went from, they were always the worst in the country in reading. 
you know, they have a very high minority population and our and minorities do struggle much more with reading mm. than, uh, than white kids. And, and they're the poorest state in the country. They had dismal reading scores when they started this new way of teaching. And there's a lot more to it. There's a lot of, I hate to say testing because it's not like standardized testing, but screeners. So they catch kids earlier and isolate what the problem is and work on it and, and just get them, you know, knowing that there's a time crunch here. If we don't get them there by fourth grade, we're probably never going to get them there. Mm -hmm. So they implemented this system and, and they are now actually tied with us in reading. You know, we used to be in the top, you know, handful of states in the country. And now we're like 28th mm. and our, our, our African-American kids are dead last. So we have to do better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, w when you compare Wisconsin with Mississippi, we're a much more affluent state. We have a very small minority population. And for them to be tied with us says they're doing something right and we're doing something wrong. So this required a, it's, it was well-funded, yes. the bill, and it does require gearing up at the state level with a lot of these new positions. Right. When is that realistically supposed to be rolling out? Yeah, there's a, there's a reading literacy council that has been choosing the curricula that they will recommend for schools. And if schools want to use that, if they choose to use that, we'll pay half of it half the price of that. We need to retrain the teachers around the state. So we're, you know, paying for the bulk of that. And it's supposed to be in place by this coming school year. Hmm. So now, Door County is kind of ahead of the curve because they yeah. had started switching. Absolutely. Back to, I'm going to call it the old system of reading. Yeah. And actually it's another case where Carrie Bauman, who now is on the school board in, in Gibraltar, she first came to me with, with this. And I, you know, I, I knew a little bit about it, but not much, but she really went into it. And she's been one of the activists in the, in the state on it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Door County is, is well above the, the curve on the state level that they're already doing most of these things. So mm -hmm. I'm really, I'm really proud of that, but we need to implement this everywhere. And it was a tough thing. We had to negotiate, you know, I negotiated with DPI, with the governor for a long time. It was really a, a difficult thing to get done, which, you know, made it so much more satisfying when it, you know, when it did finally pass. Is that the first time you've ever worked on a bill where you've had to negotiate and compromise and work with the other side of the aisle as much? Yeah, I've never had to to this extent. I mean, there always is some because, you know, I don't want to write a bill just to write a bill and have the governor veto it. If I write something, you know, my intention is that he's going to sign it. So I try to find out, you know, okay, what are the objections? What can we, is, is there room for compromise? But there's never been one like this. And we had... You know, there were people on both sides that were really opposed to it initially. Actually, the, the teachers' union, the state teachers' union, was opposed to it. They still are opposed to it. They, huh. did, they did not want change. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'll give the governor credit that, and DPI credit that they went against their wishes. Well, the governor has an education background, obviously. Right. So. right. Yeah. And, you know, it was tough negotiations. But, mm -hmm. you know, in the end, we came through with a product that I think is, is really good. And a lot of other states have, have been looked at ours, you know, very admiringly, that we've done it really well, I think. Okay. So the Wisconsin Assembly, at least, concluded the calendar year having gotten something done, unlike what our U.S. Congress has yeah. done <laughs> over right. the past year. It sounds like there was a lot of bills that were signed. There was a lot of business that was done. Were there any others that stuck out to you for sure. 2023? Sure. And I will say, it was a different session. I mean, it, good in a lot of ways that, 
you know, the, the, the governor's first two sessions when he w- was in office, the two sides just did not work together much. We did not compromise on things. But this time we actually, there were a number of cases where, where we really did. We worked on some big things together. So there was a whole package. Shared revenue is the money that the state gives to our local governments. And we came up with a plan to increase that substantially. So our, our local governments, you know, will have more money. That was also tied in with, you know, it doesn't affect us here, but Milwaukee, was really on the verge of bankruptcy. Mm. So part of the deal was that they would we would allow them to implement a sales tax, you know, in addition to what we normally allow is just half a percent. Yeah. So they can go up another half percent. Th- their big problem is their pension fund. That unlike other government ent- entities around Wisconsin, they were they were on their own plan, and it's a disaster. Hundreds of millions of dollars in you know in debt. So one of the requirements is that now they will go on the state plan because we don't want to be coming back with this. But in any case, that was all part of the negotiations to allow that to increase the shared revenue. Another big thing was And that was, I might point out, I mean, like you said, it wasn't it wasn't just for Milwaukee. Every right. municipality oh, yeah. in the state definitely got a little boost to the amount of money that they get in shared revenue from the state. Right. And we did publish a list actually of all of the the 19 municipalities in Door County and what they were receiving additional. Yeah, and actually Door County made out pretty well on it because with the old formula, Door County being a fairly affluent county, we did very poorly. They were getting very little, but now they get a certain amount. And plus in the future, it'll be tied to the the sales tax so Mm. that it'll be guaranteed to sort of go up with inflation. As the sales tax increases, it'll increase as well. And they use that money for roads and for basically anything that they want to use it for, which is good for shared revenue. Yeah, it is. And, you know, our local governments, they struggle. You know, they're on, there are revenue restrictions on them. Mm -hmm. And so they they do, it's, they have very tight budgets. So I know they're very appreciative of that. Well, we're always talking on the podcast about the different ways that municipalities are trying to fund local roads, because really when it comes down to it, for rural communities, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, towns, that's their biggest thing. I mean, that's the biggest part of their budget is trying to figure out how to keep and maintain their roads. And the town of Gibraltar had come up with that Mm -hmm. transportation utility fee, but they just this month revoked that. So uh, based upon a Wisconsin Supreme Court decision on a similar transportation utility fee. So, yeah, yeah, so they do definitely struggle and any little bit helps when it comes to shared revenue from the state. Yeah, one of the other big things I'll mention that we negotiated with the governor was repairs to Miller Park, well, uh, American Family Field, I guess it's called now, Mm -hmm. for the Milwaukee Brewers. And there were a lot of repairs that needed to be done. Otherwise, the brewers basically were free to leave. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of negotiations. And threatened to do so. Oh, they definitely did. There were definitely cities lining up that they would have loved to have had them. But it's a tough issue around here because Lambeau Field, those repairs were paid for locally. So to have to go to the state doesn't sit well with some people that were, uh, you know, you're paying for something for billionaire owners. That's the typical line you hear. The problem is that we already own that park. So if they leave, we're stuck with this thing that what do we do with that? So we did work out a deal that I I think in the end, it's not going to hurt taxpayers. It's because every player that plays in Miller Park, the visiting players and all of that, they pay a portion of their income tax to Wisconsin. So we will use that money to pay for it. And that's money that if they leave, will be gone. So, So that money is what will pay for the repairs over the next 15 years. 
So it really does not hurt our Wisconsin taxpayers. And that's in addition to all the revenue that comes into the park. But that's hard to measure because, you know, people, if they're not going to spend it there, they probably spend it on entertainment somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say how much real benefit you get from that. But the player salaries, that's legit because if they leave, that's gone. Mm -hmm. So it it is paid for that way. So I think it's very friendly to the taxpayer. And, And frankly, if baseball leaves Milwaukee, and maybe it doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people around here, but if it leaves it's unlikely we will ever get a, a team back again. Mm-hmm. So, so I, you know, that was another deal. It was long negotiations with the governor, and we finally reached something that everybody could agree on. It was, it was partly, you know, how much does the city of Milwaukee pay and how much does the county pay? Uh, you know, there were a lot of moving parts to it. But So Brewers are staying yep. <laughs> in Wisconsin. Are you a baseball fan? Yeah, I am. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever played Immaculate Grid? No, I have not. Okay. Well, it's, you'll have to check it out. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes. Okay. So that was the uh, year in 2023. Not the entire year. Obviously, other things were done. But we're going to take a short break right here. And then I wanted to get into medical marijuana and abortion. Okay. The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kewanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. All right. And we're back on the Dora County Pulse podcast. And let's talk about medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. So this happens, I guess you signed on to the bill just recently. Yeah. Okay. So talk about what this particular bill would do. I do want to set it up just a little bit. I was looking up some statistics and it looks like uh, medical marijuana is legal in 38 of our 50 states and in 24 states for recreational use. In Minnesota, medical marijuana, I was there when it was approved in 2014, the medical version, and then recreational use and possession of marijuana for those 21 and older was approved and effective last August. So this is increasingly something that states are moving toward. I think that it has not been something that Republicans have been real interested in talking about or doing. I think one of the major news coverage pieces that I read even called you a Democrat on this bill. It oh. was, a, yes, huh. yes. Darn, I missed that. Said, yeah, you missed that. So why did you sign on to this bill, Joel, and what would it do? Okay, so first off, I have always supported medical marijuana, although I, I have to put a caveat in that, that it really, really bugs me that the federal government has not done anything about this, that they have rather than take the heat themselves, they put it on the states, but it's illegal federally. It, uh, you know, exactly. And it's a schedule one drug, so you can't even do research. And if they decide, even if it's legal in your state and the feds decide that they're going to arrest somebody, they can. Yep, absolutely. So, so that's the really weird part of it. It is. And, and that's always been part of my reluctance about this. You know, as a veterinarian, I know how drugs are supposed to be approved. They have the research. They you know, you know what, what it's indicated for, what it's contraindicated for. You know what the doses should be. We don't have any of that because we don't even have the research. So, you know, I am very confident that there is medicinal value for some conditions for marijuana. You know, I, I've talked to enough doctors. I'm on the board of the hospital, so I, I do deal with physicians and that. And I, I'm just very convinced of that. 
but it doesn't treat everything. And I wish the federal government would do it right. Mm -hmm. But I think it's reached the point where, you know, I hear from constituents that are suffering from cancer or, you know, PTSD and some of the other conditions that it really helps on. And I really think Wisconsin needs to be move forward and, and help these people because right now they're they're running to Michigan, they're running to Illinois to get it. How do, so? How do they know that it is good for those conditions if we don't have that research? I, I'm pretty sure we do have some of that research, right? Well, I mean, it's not from the FDA. I don't know who would actually. You don't have any real research in the U.S. because you can't really do like a controlled study, which you need mm-hmm. to do. You know. Um, there's some stuff from other countries, I suppose. But but they're doing controlled studies on things like psilocybin in the United States. They must be doing some on marijuana, no? As far as I know, they are not. Okay, but anyway, but, yeah, there case. is this disjunction between what the states are doing and what the federal government still has as law on its books. But right. So Wisconsin is maybe coming around to the notion of... yeah. Doing I, it on its own. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there have always been a lot of Republicans that have supported doing it okay. if it's done very carefully. And that's what we did. It's tough to balance it all because, you know, law enforcement is, in general, they're opposed even to medical marijuana. And, you know, this is an issue where, like, again, you you cited somebody criticizing me for this, and I hear it from both sides. On mm-hmm. it. I, get, I get attacked from both sides. It, it's a very controversial issue, obviously. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're doing it very carefully where it'll only be, you know, there'll only be five dispensaries around the state. You know, we have a list of conditions that you have to have. It's not really a prescription because a doctor can't write a prescription for for cannabis, but they have to, you know, send a note basically that says that you, yes, you suffer from this condition. Mm -hmm. And there's a long list of, of conditions that that it works for. There will be pharmacists that will be able to hopefully help people in determining dosage and that kind of thing. Okay. So, you know, that's basically, and I I know from the left, I'm going to hear that this is way too restrictive and all that. And then from the right, I'm terrible that I'm allowing this, that's, you know. And you've heard both of those conversations already. And this is not for the smokable kind of cannabis. This is just for edibles. Yeah. And it's, it's, well, it's edibles and there, there are other, there's, uh, drinkables. Yeah. Well, is that considered an edible? I don't know. Well, that's, but yeah, but there's, you know, you can, there's even a way to vaporize it so that it, you know, and there, there are a lot of different methods, but just not smokable. And people ask about that. And, you know, to be honest, what other medicine do you take by smoking? Because smoking by itself is a harmful thing, both to you and to the people around you. Sure. And, and also it, it, delineates a little better, I think, between recreational and medicinal if you're smoke, you know, if you don't allow the smokable. So, you know, it's not everything I would want. Mm-hmm. Nobody's, nobody is going to be hundred percent happy with this on either side. Okay. But I think it's a, you know, it's a move in the right direction on it. And, you know, we had to compromise to get, to get the votes for it, frankly. So the, the governor has said he will sign it if we pass it. I, I did read that. So that's what your understanding of it is. Right. And so what is the process? Where is it right now in the legislative process? Um, I think we're going to vote on it in the assembly next week. Okay. Um, I think they're really close in the Senate to having the vote. So I think they're still negotiating a little bit. Okay. So hopefully, you know, our session wraps up in just a little over a month. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty tight time frame. Okay. But you think it's going to get done before? Yeah. I mean, we will get it done for sure. Mm -hmm. In the assembly. In the assembly, we will get it done. Now, I I can't promise about the Senate. I, again, they're very close, you know, and there's some issues with it. A lot of people don't like that the state 
the way we have it set right now, the state will operate these things. I'm not crazy about that either. The state would operate the dispensaries. You mean the five that would right. be, okay. Yeah, they would be state run, which nobody else does right oh, now. Oh, seriously. I guess I did not read that part of it. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, I have I have some concerns about that. I would rather it not be done that way. We're yeah. doing it where it's not going to be a moneymaker for the state. We don't want to make, you know, money off sick people, mm-hmm. you know, so the state will run it. You Does know, the state run anything like that currently when it comes to any kind of agriculture or any kind of pharmaceutical dispensary? Not it, that I know of in Wisconsin. Now, in other states, very commonly, they run liquor sales. Okay. You know, a lot of states have state stores that run that. Sure. So I mean, that's in that. my home. I mean, in my neck of the woods, that happens in New Hampshire, okay. for instance. That's not my neck of the woods. It's just where I was raised. This okay. is my neck of the woods. <laughs> But I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of, that just does seem like a very yeah, bizarre that, element of that bill. You know, I asked them to look into it. it. It's a little weird. You're requiring state employees to sell something that is illegal. I mean, federal, it's against federal law and it's, state law can't supersede federal law. So it is illegal. How do you even set up something like that that is state authorized if it's federally illegal? Yeah. Again, they've, you know, I wasn't one of the authors on it. I've co-sponsored. Okay, yeah, so, sure. Again, that's not a part of it I like, mm-hmm. but if mm. that's the only way to get it done, I'm willing to go along with that. But I've asked those questions, and I think they're looking into that. Can we really require state employees to sell something that's illegal? Okay. There wouldn't be any point in authoring a bill that has provisions in it that automatically mean it would not go anywhere. Right. Is there? No, I, okay. to me it's not. Okay. And that's why... Is that a strategy for some legislators? Oh, oh yeah. People put out bills all the time. That, that just they, that know they know are not going to pass. Yeah. And they call them like messaging bills because you yeah. can you know, you know, can paint the other side looking bad or yes. whatever. Yes, sure. So okay. that both sides do that constantly. I okay. really try not to do that. If I write a bill, I want it to be law. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. But this was one where they... The operative word there was you try well, not to do it. When I write a bill, I work as much as I can with the other side. Sometimes you reach a point where okay, they're just not going to go for this. Yeah. And so be it. Okay. But I can understand the merit in putting out a piece of legislation that you believe in, even mm-hmm. if you know it's not going to go anywhere. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, messaging shouldn't be, it doesn't just have negative connotations of a political process that doesn't work. Yeah. It, it, you know, if you're a legislator and you believe in something and even if you know it's not going to pass it. No, I, there is merit to it. I think that you need to stake, tell people this is what I believe. And it's certainly for the minority party where they have a much tougher time getting things passed, they need to pass legislation just to, this is what we would do if we were in power. Right. Okay. Know? So, I mean, there is, uh, yeah, I shouldn't, it's not a totally negative thing. So well, thanks okay. for pointing that out. So <laughs> medical marijuana. So that is that. Now let's get to abortion. This came kind of late. I think I saw it yesterday, late afternoon, but it's not really late. So there is a bill now out there that will let voters of Wisconsin decide the state's abortion laws with a referendum mm-hmm. in the April 2, 2024 election, April election, yes. correct? And you have just recently signed on to this bill. And I want to just set this up, a quick rundown leading up to this. So the U.S. Supreme Court overturns 1973's Roe v. Wade Say, now I criticize you for going all the way back to 1980-something, and I'm going back to 1973, (laughs) but yes, I will not go all the way year by year. 
So the U.S. Supreme Court overturns 1973's Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion throughout the country. This reactivated Wisconsin's 1849 state law that conservatives interpreted as banning abortion and abortions were stopped for fear of prosecution. Planned Parenthood clinics in Madison and Milwaukee resumed abortions in September of last year after Dane County Circuit Judge Diane Schlipper ruled that the 173-year-old abortion ban outlaws killing fetuses but does not ban abortions. She reaffirmed that decision in December. A Republican prosecutor appealed the ruling in December. The case is likely to end up before the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which last year flipped to liberal control. This bill was introduced in December, the one that is out there now, and I heard an interview with the Associated Press talking with Assembly Speaker Robin Voss on December 20, and Voss said he wanted to let voters decide in the ballot question whether to shorten the length of time pregnant women can legally seek abortions in the state. So it's probably the only way for us to put this issue to rest, he said in that interview. So that brings us to this bill. You've now signed on to this bill. So what does it do? What is the main premise behind okay. it? So the one part I, th- I think you left out was that because the 18- Really? I thought that was a very comprehensive lead up <laughs> to this. Okay, guess. Well, well the, the 18, when the 1849 law was thrown out, we reverted to the law that had been in place. Prior to that. Prior to prior, that, yep. or since that time, that, was, yes. that sets the date at 20 weeks. Right. So Good point. Thank you. <laughs> what this law does, or bill does rather, and it just came out. It was just finally released like an hour ago, so I don't know when people will listen to this. Yeah, but sure. it, Anyway, it's very recent, but- what it would do is lower that age to 14 weeks. Now, the first trimester is generally defined as 12 to 14 weeks. 14 weeks, that period is very common in Europe. In France, it's 14 weeks. And 93% of all the abortions in the country take place in that first trimester. You know, when I did my spring surveys last year, which is several thousand residents of our area, that seems to be what most people want, an early date like that. They want it legal, but they want an early date. So. You know, I'm pro-life myself, but as we've talked about in the past, I think our law is going to have to reflect what the people want, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't think, nobody really thought that we had a process for a referendum in the state on that, to do something like that. But it turns out we do, that it's only ever been done once before, but we can actually pass a law and allow the public to vote it up or down. Is it an advisory referendum? No, it's, you know, they can... They'll vote, and if if it fails, it's not a law. So it's a little bit confusing to me. And as you said, this bill just came out, so I haven't even been able to read it yet. Mm -hmm. It's a little confusing to me that there is something that is being set, and yet you're saying let voters decide. Right. So what— So the way the process will work, and again, I know we're going to pass it in the Assembly— I think maybe next week we'll pass that too. This bill? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's getting, getting so here. So what does it say about what, I understand that it, it wants to reset the law, which right now is 20 weeks. Right. They want to reset that to 14 weeks, but then what is the component where they let voters decide? So if, if we pass it and the Senate passes, the governor has to sign it like he would any other law, and then the voters get to vote on it in April. Vote on what? On whether this should be the law. <sighs> Oh, okay. So it's not whether or not. So this law only right. at 14 weeks. Right. Yeah, we don't, I see. Yeah, we don't give them like a, I mean, it would be nice. Give them a whole menu and you pick which, which, which one you want. No, it's. Or just do you want the Roe v. Wade situation? Yeah, we can't get. Before. You know, we can't get rid of abortions. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. we could do that too, I suppose. But, uh, you know, I 
think based on all the polling, that would never pass. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not going to campaign for one side or the other. I just want to know what the people think. I so, want them to be educated, but they okay. they can make up their minds. If they if they wanted it 20 weeks, then vote no. But for the for the strong pro life people out there, and we'll we'll take some criticism for this for even. I don't quite understand it because we would be lowering it from 20 weeks to, to 14. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, we'll get criticized on it anyway. Right, because they were proponents and advocates for the complete ban right. of Right, but we, that's, not, that's not an option. It's not realistic. Right, It's that's not going to happen. You know? Okay. So if it goes through, I don't know what the governor will do. He has said he does not want any restrictions on abortion. And again, from the polling I see, certainly in my area, that's not where most people are. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want late-term abortions. So... Will he veto this? He has sort of indicated he would, but I don't know how you justify that. We're just asking the people. We're not, you know, we're mm-hmm. not going to tell them how to vote. So why not just let them tell us if 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 they want 14 weeks, fine. If they don't, it stays at 20. It seems like it might not be attractive to put a question to voters that would make it less restrictive than it is currently. There doesn't seem to be much of a an incentive for that. Well, I think within my party, no, they would. I don't think that they would pass something making it less restrictive. Now, if the Democrats were in charge, I'm, they probably would. Well, this, if, I mean, the bill that you're putting forth, it would be 14 weeks right. versus 20. Right. So it's more restrictive. More restrictive, right. So there is no reason, it seems like a disincentive for if you are in the Democratic Party, you would not want this question put to voters on the off chance that it would pass. All Democrats. I think that's a pretty extreme position that we have people that a lot of Democrats that advocate for up until birth, honestly. And I've uh, never, I, I, I've never even heard. I, I mean, I, I know that that is out there, but I, I just don't, I've never heard of one of those. I, I think, it, like I said, 93 are in the, 93% are in the first trimester. So I think it's, yeah. a, it's a rare circumstance, but it does Very happen rare. in yeah. the third trimester. Okay. It does happen. So, but not all Democrats are like, you know, believe that. I think there mm-hmm. are some that, that want it safe and early, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't think it's necessarily a straight party line vote. Okay. I think if it's on the ballot, it likely will pass. That's my guess. But again, I'm not going to. To be more restrictive. To be more restrictive. Yeah, I, at 14 at versus 14. 20. Yeah. Okay. If it doesn't pass, it doesn't pass. I'm not going to, again, like I said, I'm not going to campaign for it, but I, I just want to hear from the people. I think it's an issue that putting my personal beliefs aside, I think the people have to decide it. I just don't think we can have a law that runs counter to what public opinion is. Sure. Now, letting people decide suggests that we're letting them decide whether or not abortion should be legal in the state of Wisconsin. So what you're saying is that that really can't be the question. No, I, I don't think that it can be. I don't, I can't imagine that that would pass to, to put on a, a referendum that we're going to just outlaw abortion in Wisconsin. I, I have not seen any polling <laughs> here or anywhere else in the country right. that would suggest that would pass. So you know that that's not going to, so you're just trying to at least confine it to the first trimester. Exactly. Okay. So the assembly will probably pass this bill next week. And we're talking on Friday, January 19. And this is probably going to drop today. So, so next week. I think it's on the calendar for next week. If not, it'd be the week after for sure. You've got a lot of big stuff on the calendar for next week. Yeah. You know, honestly, I think this period win right now, it's probably a good time to do this podcast because I've never seen so many big things all at once in a short period of time. What do you think's behind that? I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I do think we have a different attitude in dealing with the governor this time than we 
my party does than, than they've had in the past where they sort of feel like there is opportunity to get some things done that, that both sides could be happy with. So uh, that's part of it. Mm. You know, I'm sure there's a lot, there are a lot of political motives behind all of this. But Do you think that it is the recently turned liberal Wisconsin Supreme Court that so many things get pushed um, up to them and now that they're more liberal, they're, they're deciding things and maybe the Republican majority doesn't want the courts to decide everything that happens? You know, there will be some of that. I, you know, and again, we'll talk about the maps another time. Certainly yes, our, yes. our opinions have changed about that because, you know, we know that we're not, that they will throw our maps out. That I think it's very politically driven, but again, we'll get into that another time. I yeah. don't think with abortion, I mean, I do think that there's a political reality that being totally opposed to abortion is not a popular, you know, that's going to cost people elections. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for more pragmatic Republicans, it's like, well, if we don't compromise on this at least a little bit, then we're going to lose everything in all of these other areas mm-hmm. that we care about. But strategic, yeah, so that makes sense strategically for abortion. But what about medical marijuana? That that just seems like it's been lobbed out there for no political urgency that I can think of, but that I'm not necessarily politically savvy. So it right. could, it, there could be. Well, you know, um, did you just say, right? No, you're not politically savvy. <laughs> no, no, no. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I, no, I think you do a great job. You, okay. you, you do your homework on these things. You know, I, I think it is something where it's an opportunity for Republicans to seem at least a little more moderate and that they're listening to people, you know, rather than just say, no, we're not doing that. It's something that's been brewing for a long time and building, you know, I've said it f- again, whenever we've talked that I, I would support it if it's done carefully. So it's something I've thought for a long time. And I think just more and more people have come to feel that way. And I think uh, election years are great. And I think it's not a bad thing that people tend to moderate a little bit more during Mm -hmm. elections, election years. Yeah. I mean, that is, if that's what people need to do in order to be elected, we still win as voters because we get the non-extreme sides. Yeah. I mean, that's the way what elections are supposed to be, right? Yes. We have to be responsive to the people. So you do have to moderate your opinion sometimes if you, you know. During an election year, which is (laughs) the best legislation. Hopefully we're always trying to, to, you know, and, you know. But the reality is not really. That doesn't really happen. I mean, they do, people do tend to moderate during an election season. And that's, that's seen as a negative thing. What I'm thinking, what I'm positing is that it's not negative because we do get at least some of these things put out there. And then we're able to incrementally create the state or the country that we want to create in that way, you know? So, well, and I I think we all represent different areas and that kind of goes back to the maps too. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, when, when they draw maps, they're supposed to keep communities together and all of that, because, you know, what's important to Door County is probably very different from what's important to Dane County, you know? Mm -hmm. So we're not sent down there to represent the party. We're sent down there to represent our areas. So we do have different opinions, you know, around the states on that. And, you know, maybe the maps enter into some of this a little bit too, that there are going to be people out there that have been in very conservative districts and all of a sudden they're going to be much more competitive. So they better look a little more reasonable. My district, I've always felt like I have a very purple district. Mm -hmm. So I've always tried to listen to both sides and all that. That's Mm -hmm. what my district is. Yeah. I don't know if you've read the Washington Post stories under a county 
And hey, I was in that, you know. Oh, that's right. That's right. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Um, yeah. There have been, what, two, three now? Yeah, that's right. You were in, what, the first or second? Uh, yeah, I can't I, remember. Yeah. But anyway, but, yeah, I did reach out to them and uh, uh, to the writers. And I, you know, I have my own opinion on, on the way that they have decided because Door County calls elections for mm-hmm. presidential elections to come in here and kind of illuminate what Door County is. And I think that it's portrayed as really divisive. And I think that that is not our reality. Yeah, We may vote that way, but I think that it's looking for that division yeah. and kind of highlighting where it could exist. Right. And of course in the political realms it will. I don't that's my take on it and I I mean it's always difficult when you parachute in to an area. Sure. And you're at least they're getting better with their sourcing, but it does definitely present a very divisive Door County. I'm not sure I've seen the last couple of, of their articles. So, but I, I think Door County is a really great microcosm of, of Wisconsin and the country. That, And that's the reason we picked the, the winners so mm. well. In that last election, what, there were eight candidates that were either statewide or the congressional. Four Republicans won, four Democrats won. We picked everyone right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, again, I think we have suburban people here. We have people lived in cities. We have rural people. So I think we really, really are representative of, of Wisconsin. Mm. And the country, maybe. Yeah, right. We are. Right. I mean, right. I don't know that going on the presidential, well, you, you read the post. I don't remember how far back it goes, but it's a long time that Door County has picked every time. Yes. The, the correct one. I mean, yeah. It's probably more than luck, but we can't really say. I yeah. mean, that, There's you know, some luck involved, but, yes. but it, it's based on, mm-hmm. you know, just who we are. But when you're, when you're out and about, is that what people are talking about all the time, about how divided we are? Do you think that people are constantly... Yeah, I do think that we have gotten much more sort of tribal with the, the two parties where, mm-hmm. where people aren't as motivated by issues as they are by... I hate Democrats or I hate Republicans, you know, yeah, sure. and, and polling will bear that out. They call it negative partisanship where you care more about hating the other side than you do about what issues are important. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that's, and it has increased and the, and again, the, the numbers show it sure. and I sense it. Yeah. As I, a society, def- that is definitely, we have definitely changed in attacking people as opposed to the things that they stand for. Right. And yeah. that I, think that that has a lot to do with social media and the somewhat anonymity of it only in the sense that you're not face to face with a person when you have to say things like that. And because people will say things online that they would never say in person. And it, it has become the discourse of social media. It's a rhetorical style and it's leaked into our society. I mean, unfortunately. Right. So yeah, I think there are a lot of reasons behind it, but I think any thoughtful person should never agree with their party 100% of the time, right? Sure, right. If you're Absolutely. really thinking through the issues, but it, it's it's almost laziness. It's a lot easier just to hate the other side and, mm-hmm. and you know, they're evil. Right. And they're self, selfish and dishonest and all that. Sure. It's a lot easier to do that than to actually study the issues. Right. Well, there are lots of points of hope, but there is one thing I think that we were, I had recently done a story on um, Jana Zanefsky, who is a youth and government mm-hmm. participant. She goes to Southern Door High School. She's really active in the Democratic Party, but I mean, she's just active in general mm-hmm. in government 
government, especially inspired around the environment. And we were talking a little bit about this before we came online, and you were talking about how youth and government has proposed a bill that could go somewhere in the legislature. Yeah. And, and my kids were extremely active in youth and government. It's just a you know, really, and it's a YMCA program. It's a YMCA program. Yeah. It's a really great program. Mm-hmm. And and what the kids do is they they write bills once a year. They take over to the Capitol. They take over the Capitol. There are people that are in the Assembly, in the Senate. There's press. There's Supreme Court, and they write bills. All of society. <laughs> yeah. So actually, I'm going to speak to that group this coming Monday. I think. Oh, cool. Uh, um, Where I, in, in Madison? Bay. No, in Sturgeon oh, Bay. Okay. Where is that going to be? At the Y. Oh, so, what time? <laughs> uh, six o'clock. If okay. You want to be there. okay. So, and I shouldn't say so much speak. I interact with them and we talk and they ask questions. It's, it's okay. a very thoughtful group, you know. Mm-hmm. And so one of the kids in youth and government wrote, Connor Water Street, mm-hmm. wrote a bill last time that made it, became law in youth and government. And, and what the bill is, and it's been enacted in, I think, six states. But when a person goes missing, and I should preface this, that his father is a sheriff's deputy, Carl Water Street. Yes. So he has, you know, a little more background in, in law enforcement. But And his father and his grandfather was. Yeah, that's that's right. A sheriff's deputy. Right. So okay. what this bill does is that when a person goes missing right now to get their cell phone data and tracking and be able to locate that person, you have to go to a judge and get a, a warrant. And that takes a lot of time. And especially with young people, when somebody abducts a young person, a few hours could mean life or death. And, you know, it's named after the Kelsey Smith Act, it's called in these other states, because it's named after a a young woman that was abducted. And it took three days to get a warrant. And by then she was dead. So what this allows is if law enforcement has probable cause to think that person was abducted and they're in danger, they can immediately get access. So I think it's a really great bill. And Connor and, and his dad called me up and asked if, if I would talk about it, to them about it. They wanted to present their case for this. So we talked about it. And I said, wow, that sounds really great. Mm. And I, I talked to, there's a senator, Jesse James, who's a former policeman, police chief, actually, that we talked about it. And he was very interested in it as well. So we've introduced it. It just got assigned to committee. So it'll have hearings. And I know Connor wants to come down and testify on it. Youth and government, to, from what Colleen Crocker McMillan heads the youth and government program. And from what she has told me, they've never, they've had bills come out of youth and government be introduced, but they've never had one become law. Hmm. So I'm really hopeful this would be, because that would be really cool. And, you know, I'll invite the kids down when the governor signs it, if we can get it that far. I wonder what inspired a law like that. It seems pretty deep. You know, it seems pretty adult to to be able to look at an issue of injustice like that, that could prohibit law enforcement. But that's that's yeah. really cool that they're doing that. Yeah, and they look and they do a lot of research. And my kids, yeah. when they were in it, they wrote bills and all. Okay. So they, when your kids were in youth and government, is that why you decided to run for the <laughs> legislature? Yeah, they because were because it was cool what they were doing. Yeah, they were actually ahead of me. They would have been right. Yeah, yeah. Proud father moment, but I think Door County has had four Wisconsin governors out of youth and government, and two of them were my kids. So, oh. so they they loved the program, and um, and I again for anybody listening, wow, I would really recommend it to kids. Okay, so that's a lot of competition among your children to yeah. to be governor. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't caught up to them yet. So. Okay, so so uh, what is talking about is what you said earlier is that they have all positions everybody is you know elected speaker of the house or yes so that's pretty cool all right is there anything else joel that we should talk about we're running on almost 60 minutes we're very close to that yeah i'm sure i mean there are a lot of things we covered this session I can't think of anything right offhand okay. that we have to talk about. Well, we will talk again. I think that we'll probably pick up on maps 
and where those are going to be probably a little bit closer to we don't have any primaries in Door County this year. Last year, we had a lot of spring primaries for local offices, but this year we don't have any. So we will probably talk about it a little bit closer to that if you're amenable to that. And all right. Well, Joel. Yeah. Anything we said about it right now, by the time people heard it would be obsolete. Yeah. It's moving pretty fast because it has to in order to be able to, you know, get them out in time for the November election. And that's what they're looking at. So thanks for stopping by, Joel. Oh, you bet. Always a pleasure. All right. And you're listening to the Dora County Pulse podcast. And thanks as always for listening. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. This podcast is produced by Miles Danhausen Jr. and edited by Rachel Lucas. If you want to help us continue to create more great episodes just like this one, visit our website at doorcountypulse.com.